Is it the second? Another time. The second thing is that archaeology is highly politicized matter uh, of uh, science. Every science has its own political implementation. You know, for example, the question about climate change. It's a scientific question, but obviously it got uh, political uh, outcomes. And every and history, every every realm of science has its own political agendas. Archaeology is no different, but archaeology is highly politicized, mainly in the land of Israel. So I will do my best to avoid those issues or to address them as little as I can when it's a must. What I'm interested in is to touch evidence from the past and meet the people who lived in the past, no matter what uh, their identity was. In a way, identity is a code that we are putting on our lives. And I'm interested in the life, in the physical life, in the conditions of life. And then also what we can learn from what they left to us on the reality of their life, what we can learn about, it, about our culture, about their culture. Can you... So that's the second thing. Now, archaeology is, uh, although archaeology is a discipline that started to develop in the 19th century, the famous uh, story about uh, about uh, the, the the founding of Troy, exactly of Troy. Uh, by Schliemann and uh, the way that he was uh, doing things that today would have seen very un unprofessional, even damaging. You, don't just, you, don't, you do not just dig a pit in the middle of the uh, city when you want to find, but slowly, slowly uh, we, we have learned how to. So we are talking about rather a young discipline. And archaeology is gives us gives us another code or another evidence on the level of history that we are aware of how we are aware of history because we have evidence and this evidence can be documents can be chronicles documents as in legal documents and chronicles memoirs and so on those are evidence mainly written evidence and archaeology gives us an extra layer um, that can explain things and many times those things would share light on things that we have learned from the history such as the case that I okay so just before why the Indiana Jones before I go deep into um, I was checked in the 80s and in the 80s there were two trilogies that deeply influenced me the one is Star Wars and the, uh, the, the second is Indiana Jones both of them Harrison Ford was instrumental in the both of them and um, I had like the imagination that this is what archaeologists are doing they're doing all these cool things then you discover that the archaeologic archaeological excavation is a very it's a lot of toil very boring very dedicated you go with a brush and you um, so nothing like the Indiana Jones but I, I thought I would reconnect with that uh, beautiful image that I had from my childhood and try to share it with you because this is why I came to be so interested in archaeology, the history of the land of Israel, and via that in the history of the Jews. From the, biologic, from the biographical, biographical point of view, my grandfather, my maternal grandfather, was a tour guide. He was a bus driver and he was a tour guide. And I used to join him when he took tourists 
to the this and to the that and to the here and to the there and that's how I managed to see uh, much more than an average uh, child go to see in school and maybe even afterwards when we visited in school the places I visited with my grandfather I could even you know contribute and so on so this is the the way that I as a child also perceived it and also was exposed to that we are talking about the 80s now okay Sorry, So this is the what I was referring to yesterday in my sermon. This is from, uh, you know, it's so recent. Uh, this is from the Times of Israel. Ancient beheaded site found in Jerusalem. Evidence of holy king bloody rule. We are talking about King Alexander Janeus. And uh, this is the place I was talking. This is the Russian church. This I told it's called the Russian court. This is the Russian church. This is a municipality building. They want to develop this part. So they had to do excavations. And this is what they find, evidence of mass slaying, intruding, cruel, beheading, committed during the bloody reign of the Hasmonite king Alexander Yanneus, 103-76 BCE, was recently uncovered in a courtyard next to the Jerusalem municipality during excavation of an ancient water citron. We think that we know everything. The land has a lot to, uh, many things are still in the land, are still covered in the land, and we don't know, like uh, the, the Dead Sea Scroll were found, and they've changed totally what, how we understand the Second Temple period, and we cannot even, uh, um, we cannot even compare our, our form of knowledge to before and after. You never know what happened, what, what the land is still hiding, what is still concealed in the land, which I find fascinating. And in this case, we had a massacre described to us by Josephus. We had the Dead Sea Scroll people talking about the, the, the deadly king that killed their people, but we never had a proof to that, and now you have a proof. By the way, Josephus said there had been hundreds of murders, and people said, oh, he must be exaggerating a bit. And now when we find, you find 150 men, women, and children. So it's not 100, but it's still quite severe for a civil war between the king and his people. Okay, move on. Now, what we're going to do is we're basically going to hop between archaeological sites that I find inspiring and beautiful. There's no way we're going to cover them all. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and I'm trying to put it in chrono chronological order. And as I said, we are not even close to, we will not even close to be done with that. So the first one is Kesem Cave. Kesem Cave. So, <clears throat> just show you. This is Tel Aviv. This is Tel Aviv. This is the green line. I'm not getting into politics, but this is where the... Yeah, let's leave it open. Okay. This is Tel Aviv. This is the green line. Here, our family lived in Samaria, in western Samaria. And here, it's the Kesem Cave. It's just, you see the red line? It's the, it's the, it's the road. It's the road to Tel Aviv from Herzliya um, to from Gililot Junction. Okay, so it's here in the middle of the, the, middle of the lane. And this is one of the earliest, earliest founding that we have. Early humans were occupying the site 400,000 years ago until 200,000 years ago, what we call the Lower Paleolithic uh, phase, and the selective large game hunting 
regularly done, follow the butchery of the desired uh, parts of the carcass and transport it back to the resident for food and sharing and cooking. So this was more like a, a station, um, um, a station for walk, uh, where they have uh, butchered the, the animals, but also where they have produced the fleet. It was like a manufacturer for the fleet, for the fleet um, knives. So what you will find, okay, the cave was found in October 2000 when road construction destroyed the selling and led to the two rescues excavation in 2001. You see the track hill? You see this is the road? You see this is the road? So once again, they're going to build a road. For the, for the government, it's a pain in the you-know-what. It's like they have to call the archaeologists to make a survey. They are hoping it's their nightmare because then it holds back the project. Suddenly the archaeological come, oh, now you have to dig, and the whole project is delayed. And who's going to pay for it? Okay. So, and then the archaeologists say, wait, 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 there's an important thing here. There's an important thing here. How important? Important to the extent that it contains one of the earliest examples of regular use in fire in the middle of palaces, as well as large quantity of burned bones. We didn't even know that human used fire that early. It's like have changed our perspective of human migration outside of Africa and human uh, development, you know, outside of Africa. This is one of the earliest, if not the early, signs of sign uh, of first uh, usage of fire and second a uh, manufacture of tools. Those people, they weren't that different from us. They just didn't have the technology that we have, but they were very sophisticated, very sophisticated. Another thing very uh, interesting in this uh, finding is um, a lot of bones. Can you turn the air conditioning? Okay. Is bones. So all kinds of bones, all kinds of bones, the obvious is like the kettle and so on, the kettle and so on, that's not so interesting. The two interesting things is turtles, that we can even say how they've done it. They put it like in an oven with their, uh, with their shell and then broke it and, and ate it. And this chart, this chart, the follow the Adamic gazelle and many, many uh, um, bones of these chops. So you understand that there have been herds and herds of them 400 thousand years ago until 2,000 years ago. This is like early, early, one of the earliest uh, findings um, all in the Middle East. Okay, move on. This is the sites of human evolution in Mount Carmel. So, um, Mount Carmel, this is Haifa, this is Haifa, and this is where it is. The cave here and here, these two, these two. So, this is the Carmel, Carmel, uh, the Carmel uh, Plateau, the Carmel uh, um, uh, Heights. Uh, it's not one mountain, it's like it goes like this. This is Haifa, and here it's facing the sea facing the sea. Here there were all kind of uh, those rivers who go slowly to the Mediterranean and uh, they were in the uh, buffaloes and birds and fishes. So it's a very good place to make your living and then you are high, you are on the mountain. There's four caves, outstanding universal value by UNESCO um, and they are protected within the nature reserve and they are used for habitation of humanism and prehistoric humans contain unique evidence of very early burials. One of them is actually can be seen. They've left it in the site. So it's, it's called the Ashalik. Um, so you can see how um, the skeleton is uh, put in a place. They had their own methods of burials. They were not, uh, they already had a religion. 
which we can simply, our ignorance, and I think that's my message generally about archaeology, our ignorance is endless. We will never know what song they've sung, what language they spoke, how did they call their gods, how did, we will never know. Only, or the only thing we can see is that they, they had buried their dead in this way or that way, and our like, actual finding. This is a, this is the this one is called the camel the camel cave and they like kind of try to put how how life have looked on that phase you know so this is a, it's not so clear it's a carcass and there's a, 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 a man and a child and the women and they're, they're drying their the skin and so on this is how it must have looked like maybe they had some kind of a cover here that didn't survive like a soft, uh, soft uh, that didn't survive the years. Yeah. Do they find any paintings in these caves? Not in these caves. Not in these caves. By the way, uh, the wind come from the sea, and even if they had, I mean, they, you know where they found uh, cave, uh, paintings in Timna in the desert when there wasn't uh, such erosion. Here is a lot of erosion with the wind from the sea. Okay, move on. This friend's school five, school five, so um, discovered in 1932. Look at it. It's like it's quite ancient. Okay, it's quite ancient. 120 till 80,000 years old. And here's a Homo sapiens, like we are, like we are. So, why is it important? Because the land of Israel, the land of Israel is a is a necessary passage for all human migration outside of Africa. So all humanites who have passed, unless they skipped here, this thing, or I don't know, unless they skipped here, but mainly humanites, they came from down, and then they went, and all of them had to pass via the land of Israel for them to, uh, for them to migrate to the rest of the world. Why does it so important that here's a homo sapiens? Move on. This is from the uh, Smithsonian Institute, from a, a review from the Smithsonian uh, Institute. Somebody would like to read it, maybe, not myself. Come, read it. Can you? Okay. The skull site. Um, the skull site was originally thought to be about 40,000 years old based on a comparison of animal remains and stone tools found at the site with, the, um, with those from other archaeological sites in the region. This late date was important since it was then assumed that the... Neanderthals, the other kind of people, yeah? Neanderthals fossils found at the nearby fossil site of Tabun Cave. Uh, Cave must be older than the modern Homo sapiens um, population of skull. This assumption left open the possibility that the Tabun and Neanderthals. Neanderthals were the evolution, evolutionary ancestors of modern humans and skulls. However, after more precise dating techniques, scientists found that the Modern Homo sapiens fossils and skull were about 90,000 years old, much older than was previously thought. This, me this means that the anatomically modern human population and skull lived at the same time as the Neanderthal population of Tabun. Therefore, the Tabun Neanderthals could have could not have been the ancestors of modern humans. Just, while, just before you go on, you said we don't know how they spoke and so on. From uh, the, here in Israel is the only Neanderthal skull where they found the hyoid, hyoid bone. And they've used that to recreate and they 
this speech was almost the same as us, but at a much higher pitch. <laughs> okay. So, uh, by the way, the Smithsonian Institute doesn't watch porn stuff, but porn stuff, they call it the Jeffersonian Institute. So the Jeffersonian Institute, this is like what they are talking about, the Smithsonian Institute. Um, why, why is it revolutionary? First, you know, it was a new for me because I remember that when I studied, then when I studied, we've been told that there has been there different layers. The place was habitat in different layers. And then you had a layer of Neanderthals, and thousands of thousands of years later, you had a, a layer of sapiens. But actually, what happened is that different caves were habitated by different species. This is like a revolutionary, and hardly happened anywhere else. You find a space here when in one cave there lived Homo sapiens, in another cave lived Neanderthal. I don't know if they were friends, I, I don't know, I don't know. There the was interbreeding because most of the people today have 2% or 2.5% Neanderthal. Okay, I can tell you that Homo sapiens are not great in being friendly to other species, okay? <laughs> we, we are not known to be hospitable to other species, mainly when there is a threat to um, bloodline, you know, when you think that there will be a, a mixed So. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical. I'm, no, but even what you say, you don't say, oh, we are half and half. They, 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 we yeah. breed it into one another. You say 2%. What happened yeah, to the other 98? Right. Right. Okay? It's like there has been. But yeah, but it also happened with the Denisovans, which were the third lot that uh, were found together with Homo sapiens and Neanderthal in, in the Denisova caves in Russia. Yeah. So those are different, just for those who are not sure what we're talking about, those are different species of humankind that develop... Hominids. Hominids, yeah, exactly. All of them, all of them coming from Africa. Then who goes where, that's like determined, and then different species obviously uh, uh, develop in their own roots when there is um, enough seclusion for them. Okay, that's my point. Isolation. Uh, isolation, exactly. Okay. <coughs> we're pushing on, we're pushing on, now we're skipping a lot. Okay, now we're skipping a lot. This is Tel Al-Sultan, um, this is the first city, and the first city is Jericho. The first city is Jericho, Tel Al-Sultan, a UNESCO-listed archaeological site, West Bank, two kilometers north of the center of Jericho. Um, you can see that sign, this is Jericho, this is the Red Sea, oh, here. This is the Red Sea, this is Jericho. You can even see, even in this map, this is the Palestinian Authority. This is Jericho, so it's over here, over here, okay? Um, the Tel, what they call the Tel, the, uh, the hill, is inhabited from the 10th millennium BCE, and it's been called the oldest town in the world, with many significant archeological finding, and it's notable for its Roman history of uh, Levantine archeology, span because this is where we found the Natufian hunter-gatherers, the first permanent settler on the site. So how did it happen? And I guess many people here read the Sapiens by Yuval Harari. If not, then go and read Sapiens by Yuval Harari. We were all happy gatherer, hunter-gatherer. And life were good, like a lost paradise. And we lived in small groups, and we sojourned, and everything was fine. Then slowly, slowly, we moved to semi to semi-agriculture, because when you were sojourning, you weren't sojourning all over the world. You were sojourning from here to there, from here to there, because you're looking for graze. Okay, your animal needs to graze. 
and then you sow and you leave it for the rain and you go and you come back the next season. And then slowly, slowly there is more and more population because there's more and more food and people die less. And slowly, slowly there is 2.1, a couple produced, you know, couple need to produce 2.1 in order to maintain the species. No, I'm serious, if you produce 1.7, you will start to reduce the species. So you need to make 2.1 and on in order for the species to grow. So slowly, slowly, a couple will produce 2.2 kids, 2.3 kids, 3 kids, suddenly you get more mouths to feed. And then you start to be start to be subjugated to the agriculture because you have to sow more and, and this is how societies develop. 10,000 years ago, friends, this is a city. Today it wouldn't be more than a village that we receive, but this is a city. There's a houses, there's a wall, there is a, a, a social system in there and everything included. It's not by chance that when the, in, the, in the chronicle, in the Bible, when the Israelites are crossing the desert, uh, they're going to Jericho. Jericho is that it's the oldest city there is. Um, Ten thousand years ago, Exodus happened. If happened, we'll get there. Or how happened in fifteen hundred minus. So by the time the Israelite came to the land of Israel, Jericho was already eight thousand years old. Okay, just for you to understand. And 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 going backwards, we we're talking about hundreds of thousands years. This is 10,000 years before our time. It's not that long ago in terms of history. Okay? Robert, I'm yes. just trying to connect this timing and the timing of the Jewish calendar. Because now we're in 5,779. I spoke about it. I'm not, uh, I'm not, I'm not, this is a scientific talk. So the, the, the starting points are totally different. Uh, the two calendars cannot be. No, I, I, I spoke about it uh, last week that there is a, the, the, the creation happened in minus three, seven, six, or something, minor, and history has started before. Okay? So those are little different languages. No, those are different languages. Yeah, so one is language, yeah. Okay, so this is one, there's a language of the mind. I will them in my mind. Yeah. Okay, that's mine. Okay? <laughs> no, it's important. I'm glad you brought it because if you ask it, maybe other people are asking it. There's mythos and there's logos. There is faith and there is knowledge. And those things correspond between them, but those are different languages, so it's not apples to apples. Okay, move on. Now we're moving from the calculate from the natufic to the calculate. Just one more thing about the natufic. Here, here, and here, on the other side, the two sides of the Sea of Galilee. We find more evidence of them, more evidence of that culture, uh, which like uh, um, goes to the 20, 30,000 years old. Um, and Nelson Glick, which I will mention earlier when he when he excavated here, they found many bones of elephants and ivory. Now, it's humbling, it's humbling to think that the African animal, animals were able to migrate and in the Jordan River, elephants would like sprinkle upon themselves and so it's, 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 it's really it's humbling that bears and lions would go there, you know, it's like, it's nothing like the Middle East of today. Different nothing climate. Like what? Different climate. Different climate, but also different, uh, the land was open and vast, you know, everything was a possibility. Okay, now Engedi. 
NGD is here, NGD is here, out of the, uh, uh, the Dead Sea, here, this is NGD. And Gedi Ain is the fountain, Gedi is the kid goat, so it's like the fountain of the kid goat. Um, and this is one of the only sweet water fountains in the area, which is very desert, very, very desert. So obviously it, it, it attracted the uh, settlements from very early days. However, however, this is one of the most puzzling um, foundings because first 3,500 BCE, it lies on the scarp above the oasis of Engedi in the western shore, and it lies between the two fountains in Engedi, two fountains that fit the, the come to one stream, and in between them there is this temple. If you go there to Engedi, which is kind of on the tourist map of Israel, so you'll visit in the kibbutz, they'll take you to the nature reserve, and then they'll tell you this is the fountain is very beautiful, this is the stream, there's a nice pond, there's a nice uh, lawns to sit and have a picnic. You want to go to the temple, it's like three, four hours walk in the sun. You want to go there, it's like really, it's really unconvenient to get. And like the people who built it didn't want you to get there if you don't know what you're supposed to do there. It's like you need to go in the mountain, tak, 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 like four hours. I've been there once in my youth, and I don't know if I'll be there again. It's like really far. So the location is between the two springs, the orientation of the gates, the circular structure, and the courtyard indicate the cultic nature of the temple seem to have been connected with water. Deity of water and worship of water, which is when you live in the desert, it makes sense that the deity will be and the worship will be connected to water because that's what you're looking for. Pottery found in the site almost exclusively for four types, bowls, um, fenced pedestals, small bowls, cords, and animal figurines uh, that limited the variety may reflect only a cultic significance. Why does it uh, matter? Because usually when you have places of worship, not always, but usually, you will have their habitation. People will live there. And here, there is a temple that stands alone. And what, what, what we think is no dwelling and little remains of immediate uh, vicinity. vicinity. Uh, the site appears to have served the focus of pilgrimage that serves the wide region. So the people who lived in the region of what we call the Judean Desert, in the region of what we call the Judean Desert, came there to worship and that was their center of faith, which we will never know. What song they sang? How did it look? Have they danced? And what did they wear? We will never know. So that's why I'm saying that our ignorance, our ignorance is so frustrating. And the side of no, no sign of deliberate destruction. It appears they have just abandoned it and its cultic furniture removed, carried away by the priest. Uh, in terms of biblical history, what was happening supposedly at the same time? The creation. Oh. <laughs> this is like 200 years after the creation. There's another interesting you see, thing. You see, just a second, you see, if the creation according to the Jewish is a 37-something, 3764, I think. Yes, so this is like 200 years after the creation. It's about the flood. Not even, not even, not even. It's like a set, Cain, Cain's, Cain's, Adam and Eve set. Yeah, yeah, sorry. The chalcolithic means it's to do with copper. Yeah. And uh, so mining has had to take take place. This is from copper. Uh, so the, I'll get uh, there. It was an advance. I'll get there in a minute. I'll get there in a minute. Okay, look, this is majestic. This is really majestic. Okay? 
and uh, oh, okay, so they have moved most of the thing. However, some some artifacts, some artifacts of the temple they have buried, and that was found. So it's a treasure, a real treasure. This is in the this is in the Israel Museum. Up, uh, actually no, this is in, in the. Okay, I don't remember where it says. I don't remember. Okay, anyhow, this is one of the findings there, and you see, um, you know, in En Gedi. Gedi is the go, but it's also those kind of uh, rams, antelopes, antelopes, Arabian uh, oryx, Arabian oryx. This is the exact shape. And you still see them. You go on the Dead Sea, on the curves of the Dead Sea. You see them. This is the kind of animal that obviously they had less where to go today. Okay. So now we're jumping to the north, Golan Heights, Rujum Hiri. Rujum here, it's eight kilometers out of the Sea of Galilee, somewhere here. Somewhere here. Between Katarina and somewhere here. Here, yes, exactly. Okay. Rujum here. From all the sites that I'm going to tell you about today, this is the most puzzling and the one that you simply have no idea what it was used to. Friends, it's like a Stone Age. It's a huge effort. People of that culture put huge effort to build it, something that will be seen from the sky. Gilgal Refaim Rujum El Hiri. Gilgal is like the rounding, and Refaim, Rafa, okay, you know Raphael, but Rafaim is mean can mean two things. One, the giants from Genesis 6, when they're talking about the men of the the, 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 the sons of God mating with the with the daughters of the human. Or it means the deaths. Oh, it means the dead. So Gilgal Raphaim, it's an Egypt megalithic monument consisting of the concentric circle, a stone uh, with a tuberous in the center. With the, so there is, it was a bit bigger, but not much bigger. And there is like a maze, a maze, a labyrinth with a tumulus, with a temple element in the, in the, in the middle. 42,000 basalt rock. The Golan height is a basalt. This was like lava, lava, basalt. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a lava. lava. It's a lava area. Um, 520 five, five, five feet diameter and add uh, um, 2.5 uh, heat. Um, and uh, we are talking about the early Bronze Age period. So this is like 3,000 years ago. There are all kinds of theories, but we don't know. There is no residential quarter. Nobody lived there. We think it was linked to the uh, uh, cult of the dead, but there is no consensus, and no similar structure has been found in the Near East. Um. New Age movement, just a second. New Age movement presumed that it was something got to do with the worship, uh, with the gathering for the equinox and the uh, solace. However, somebody needed to build it. It was a huge effort. Somebody needed to feed the people who built it. People came from all over. They had like an intention. People don't build such a thing just like that. It's a huge social, cultural effort that we simply standing puzzling and I'm telling you from all the things from all the archaeological sites in the land of Israel okay you know what in the land of Israel another reason is that uh, here I'm getting into the political level and this was the uh, this was the border between uh, 1967 and this is uh, this was the part of Syria and then the Israelis took that part 
uh, uh, the, the Assyrians started. Okay, we're not going to that discussion now. <laughs> the war in 67, the Assyrians started. However, that's why it was excavated. Why other things I'm telling you, oh, it was excavated already in the 30s. Oh, it was excavated, you know. This was excavated only in the late 60s, early 70s. Yes, what it was. Just that you were saying how people had to move, say from Africa, to move through that area of the Middle East. Mm -hmm. So haven't they looked to see whether there are similar things in other parts, not only in the East, Middle East, or Near East? I think, I think that place is also on the highway of the copper trade because they were, they were moving minerals from, from uh, as far as away as Afghanistan in the east across that, that part around about that, at, at that time, up until about one and a half thousand years. So it could have been built by any number of There's a similar natural, well, it's now natural, but a natural structure in Mauritania, and they theorized that that was Atlantis in that structure. Atlantis is not a scientific language, it's like a new age language which we can say or we can use or not use, but... Uh, well, 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 what's his name? Plato was from the region, so... There is a similar structure in Mauritania, but much, much larger than that, and it's right inland, it's not on the coast as well. Oh, Mauritania is here. Yeah. I'd rather to say that I don't know. You yeah. know, a scientific, scientific language would say that unless a new evidence will come, we acknowledge our ignorance, and that's how it is. And, and, and your theory is as good as our theories. Uh, I agree that it's probably got to do with people who are migrants and not people who are residents. But even so, so let's say they lived there for, or they came there for a season. And then in each season they build it, and it took them 200 years to put all this stone together. There was somebody needed to do the architecture and to tell them we are going to build, we're going to build it here and not there, you know. And there is a reason for that, and the reason is that we don't know. But it's amazing the accuracy. The accuracy is quite impressive. Yeah. Did they have the technology to do that? Yeah. I mean, that's a perfect circle by all definition. Nice. Yeah. Nice. And have a piece of rope. Max in it, and then you just walk around. Did they have ropes? <laughs> oh, they would have had something to tell. That's what's well, amazing. I, I, I would have done something totally sober, just maybe. No, okay. Okay, on, 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 on. Getting to the so Egyptians. Sorry, yes. You don't need to rush yourself through this, okay? If, if you don't finish, we can have another session another time. Okay. We need to absorb this. Probably. Yeah, and it's a lot of information, so it's difficult for us. Okay, for us okay, to okay. No, no, no. It's a valid uh, feedback. Tell me if I'm going too fast. It's a valid feedback. Yeah, you may have to turn off the light for this one. I'm going to talk now about Egypt. <laughs> I'm going to go down back to the south and I'm going to talk about Egypt. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't know why, why you think so. I don't know why, but here there is the actual colors and here it gets. Okay, I'm not going to deal with it. You say it's the Middle East? This is the Mediterranean Sea. I'm sorry, it's not. I don't know why the colors are not great. I don't know what colors are This is the Nile. This is the Red Sea. This is the Red Sea. This is Sinai Peninsula. This is the Arabian. This is the Arabian. Okay. This is Mesopotamia. You see the great cities of Mesopotamia, Ur and Nippur and Syria. And here we're going to Syria. This. Oh, this is the Nile, as I said. It's a figure I give very often. Pharaoh Pharaoh Menes is uniting 
Upper Egypt and Lower Egypt in minus 3,000. Here we are talking about uh, the 15th century. It's like uh, Egypt is an empire for 1,500 years already. From Kush, Kush, this is the origin of the Nile. Okay, Kush, this is the origin of the Nile. Tak, 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 Nile, this is Thebes, what we know as No Amon, the city of Thebes, uh, Heliopolis. And this is the boundaries of the Egyptian empire pulling itself north in its greatest peak. So you can see that the, the where we say it in history, the wheel which is projected from Thebes, the wheel which is projected from Thebes getting up to Upper Syria and up to the Euphrates. When, when we hear in the Bible, your, your land will be from the Egyptian river until the Euphrates, this is the province of Canaan that we are talking about, the Egyptian province of Canaan. And what we are talking about is the Egyptian involvement in the Holy Land. Now, later on, what will happen, what will happen is that the, the Mesopotamian, Assyria, and later Babylon will project the will as well. And then there, will, there is will projected from here, the will projected from here, and the land of Canaan, the land of Israel, is where the fighting will take place. And because the geography is the same geography, so there is only so-and-so roads you can move with huge chariots, then there is so-and-so passages, then there is one plane where those fi fighting will happen over and over, and this is, who knows? Megiddo. Megiddo, exactly. As we say Armageddon, Armageddon. Mount Megiddo, the plains of Megiddo, this is where there is like space for all of them to come. So now, go on. So now we're going to look on the Amrana letters. We actually spoke about it in the last uh, Amrana letters, tablets, is an archive of letters. And those archives were not found in Israel. They were found in Egypt, in the, the other capital city. Uh, probably consists of diplomatic correspondence between the Egyptian administration and the representative of Canaan between <clears throat> it's during the 14th century BCE. The letter are found in the Upper Egypt, Amrana, the modern name of the ancient Egypt capital of Akhneton. Akhneton. Somebody, hey, hey. Somebody can tell me something about Akhneton, Pharaoh Akhneton? He was the first one to worship one God. Yes, exactly. Pharaoh Akhneton, Pharaoh Akhneton was the first to say there is one God, and this God is the sun, and he tried to rebel against the ancient Egyptian system. A rebellion that didn't work out. The old structure have counter rebel against him and took over. The Amrana letter are unusual because they are not written. They are written in Akkadian. They are not written in hieroglyphs. They are written in the northern system um, of ancient Mesopotamia and not in ancient Egypt. And there are 382 tablets. It's great. It's amazing. Found in the 1907, it was published by the Norwegian Nasserlis Jürgen Alexander, whatever. And uh, the written correspondence spans period of almost 30 years. Now, just in short, when I showed you that uh, map of how Egypt expands, most of those expansions happen during what we call the 18th dynasty of Egypt. So, leave the names of the different pharaohs, but you see that there is like a good chunk, good chunk, good chunk, good chunk. They're like you know, each one of them got good time of, what does it mean that the king reigns a long time? Sustainability, 
the empire is developing, there is trade, the armies know that the soldiers know they're going to be paid, there is that continuity. And here in the end, suddenly you see. So this is Achnaton, this is a small one, there was a. It's going the other direction, though. No. From here. Oh, it's BC. no, it's not. It's BC, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is the ancient. This is minus five Fafel, and this is the end of it. Oh, sorry. One, two, nine, two. Okay, so just to see, king, kings who, I'm talking about it because it's um, it's crucial to the understanding because Egypt was the empire, and and, and the land of Canaan was like the um, colony. Exactly, the colonies. There's no other way to tell it. So you see, tak 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 tak. This is this is Achnaton. He's been reigning two years, and he was uh, taken off. This is our friend Nefertiti and Tutankhamon, Nefertiti and Tutankhamon, and this is the last kingdom Hammurab who had no children and thus he inherited it today what will be the 19th dynasty which is the dynasty which connected to the Israelites. However, a letter Jerry you read it on the class, read it again. A letter. This is the letter. Just a second. This is the letter. Just see about the method it is inscribed on a stone and then put on a clay tablet. Are you with me? Okay, it's like a cylinder goes like this on a clay, and this is the letter, and these are the these are the letter, and these are the letters. Now listen to his complaint. He's like telling you, he's reporting. He's the governor, the proconsul, and he's reporting to the king. Okay, so it says, say to the king, my lord and my son. Message of Biridia. This is the chap. This is his name. Um, the loyal servant of the king. I fall at the feet of the king, my lord and my son, seven times and seven times. May the king, my lord, take cognizance of his servant and his city. In fact, only I am cultivating the city and only I am furnishing the statute. Workers, consider the other mayors that are near me. They do not act as I do. They do not cultivate in the city and they do furnish... Do not, the do not furnish the workers. Yeah. Only I by myself furnish the workers from from city, the Yapu, Jaku. Okay, they come from my resources here and from the city Nuripta. And may the king, my lord, take cognizance of this city. Okay. So okay. thank you. Thank you. So basically what is he complaining about? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So I think that uh, first it's very common in organizational culture. Yeah, and it's it's yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. So I think that's that's a uh, and most of them are like rather mundane matters that you can really identify with, you know. This is the proconsul complaining to the king that he is the only one who pulls the thing together. This uh, thing, uh, the statue walker, is people who are taking to forced labor. They're not slaves, but they're taking from the land to forced labor. And they have to do the work for the king. Just think about it. You're a farmer in wherever, wherever. The soldiers come and say, you have three sons. One of them needs to go to the army. I say, where, where? Who's going to take the car? Who's going to? I, you cannot take my, my I need them in the farm. Shut up. You know? And you take them. And who knows if you'll see them back? Okay, move on. Now we are getting to the copper mines. Timna, we are getting back to the, it's here, 30 k from Elat. Here, we need the boat at the bottom from Aqaba. 
um, located south of Israel, approximately 30 kilometers north of the Gulf of Aqaba in the city of Elat, rich in copper and has been mined since the 5th millennium BCE. And there is controversy whether the mine were active during King Solomon's era. It's called King Solomon's Mine. This is called King Solomon Mines. Was it King Solomon? You know, the whole King Solomon matter is rather complicated for us to understand. However, these huge pillars are called, somebody knows? Solomon Pillars. Solomon Pillars. So this is Timna. You can see there's a, there, it's hard. It's a tough place to live. It's objectively tough place to live. When you ask about a drawing, so there they found all kind of uh, drawing. And this is the mines. This is the mines. So these tunnels were mined. Now, I don't know. Uh, this is South Africa. Uh, South Africa has what to say about mining, condition of miners, how miners get to live. Uh, maybe it's a time for another discussion to compare the miners today to the miners back then. But uh, those people lived in very, very hard conditions and were doing very, very hard labor. You to go, to dig, to take your basket, to go up, to climb up. It's like you have to go in all kind of rock, rock ladders, and you can, uh, maybe you even remember that we walked here. We've been there several times. Now, uh, for us, it's fun. You go with your air-conditioned car, you get until the place, then you there's like rocks that the nature, uh, nature reserve authority put there for you. You're kind of sorted. Back then, it was hell. And uh, there was was a very clear class society. And so, Max, can you put it on, please? Again, sorry, it's, there are many people in the closed room. Okay, move on. You want it cool or hot? Nineteen. Sorry. Seventeen. I'm saying freeze the people. Okay. I think that the most Interesting place in Timna. Uh, just to say, Timna has also the cave pa the, the paintings, and also it has very interesting shapes of um, uh, stones shape, a bit like you see sometimes in Namibia. Very interesting the shapes of the stones because of the wind and the erosion. However, from a human a human, uh, this is the Hatho shrine of Hatho. So this is the goddess Hatho. Hatho was the mother or the consort of Horus. Those who remember the movie Gods of Egypt, she's the lady with the red dress and the black hair. Okay? Hathor. And she's like the mother of Egypt. In a way later on she emerged into the figure of Isis. But Isis is a bit later. So Hathor, and you see she has a cow. Uh, yeah, um, and she, she would be Yemen. Yeah, So sometimes she will uh, she will be seen with a cow head. Okay. Sometimes she, that would symbolize it. But sometimes you can see sometimes you can see her with a cow head. But that also symbolizes uh, the womb. It's very no. She is like the mother. She's the mother of Egypt. She's like the mother. She 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 related to Horus and to Ra. To Horus and to Ra. This is like the founding figures of ancient uh, of ancient. This is a small Egyptian temple. You see that it's not big, right? You see that it's not big. Dedicated to Hatho, the base of Solomon Pillars, just at the one I saw you before. It was built at the reign of Pharaoh Seti, the end of the 14th century, for the miners. 
So the miners will know who they need to worship when they are being uh, flogged. And they know who they should worship, exactly. And uh, it's an open courtyard area into the rock uh, where they do the, the statue of the deity. It was damaged by um, by uh, earthquake, but was rebuilt by Ramses II, our friend, Ramses that we have, you know, our Ramses. Um, what else I can say? Um, white sandstone and hieroglyphs, copper and jewelry found there. All 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 several thousand artifacts that were found there: hieroglyphs, necklace, all kind of uh, goods of a of a temple. Um, and it's uh, provided us an important information of archaeologists. And um, there are a carving of Ramses and Hathor. What I want to say is that what you will usually see, you will see Hathor and Horus with the. Uh, Okay, so you will see them together, and Horus is like the father of all pharaohs. So he will, you know, so that's like the, the, those two are the father and mother of Egypt. This is what you, if you go to, to, to tomorrow, that's what you will see. It's it's a very pale shadow of a, you know, in archaeology, always you have to use your imagination. So it's a small shrine, like a local branch of. Because it's also far from the, its periphery, it's far, it's not in Egypt, it's like it's a branch of what they put in the far away, okay? Now we're starting to get to the Jewish story, the Jewish story, we mentioned it. This is Merpantah Stella, Merpantah Pharaoh Merpantah, which came after Ramses, and knows also is the Israel Stella. Stella is the carved stone, carved stone. And he tells about his victory in the land of Canaan. Now we kind of think that all those victories was like propaganda. We don't think that none of that ever happened. But in the this is granite in hieroglyphs created at minus uh, 1200, discovered as you can see. And he says in the two lines, the last two lines, line 26, 28, he says Ascalon has been overcome, Gezer has been captured, Yoknam has made on existence. Israel is laid waste and his seed is not. They become widow because of Egypt. So he's like showing about his victory. This is the word Israel and it's the first time that Israel is mentioned somewhere. Somewhere. So I'll tell you my understanding of the hieroglyphs, which is very pale. This is people, men and women, people. This is many. This is an enemy. This is an enemy, and these are the letters, Israel, Israel. What is interesting to notice, that when he says Ashkelon, Gezer, Yoknam, those are city. So it's a different sign for a city than it is for, this means a tribe, nomad. This means a tribe, a people. Well, when he calls Gezer or Ashkelon, Yoknam, he talks about cities and it's a different sign. So this, this, the, is the language itself, the signing itself, suggests that the Israelites that he's talking about are nomad tribes rather than people who are habitating in cities. We presume he returned to Egypt with his tail between his legs. That's what we presume. <laughs> but what he has written on his memorial propaganda is something different. This is the time when Egypt tried starting to retreat 
um, to retreat from its uh, possessions in the land of Canaan. This is one of the major archaeological, really, really, it's, it's okay, this is for us the Jews. This is the first, most early mentioning of the name Israel at all. Yeah, okay. Am I in good pace? Am I in good pace? No, no, not with time, with my understanding, with our understanding. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's approved. Yes. And here we're moving to the 19th dynasty. We got, this is the 19th dynasty. You can see from minus uh, 1 to um, uh, 1292 until 100 and something years. Sorry? Yeah, this is our friend Seti. This is Ramses the first. No, dude, this is Ramses the second. This is Ramses the first. This is Seti that we mentioned. This is Ramses the second. This is the chat. He's our friend from Exodus. Now we don't know. I mean, I'm not getting to the question how historical accurate is Exodus. I'm just saying that had such a thing occurred, this is the time when it occurred during the reign of Ramses the second. And this is Merpantach, the poor chap who had to come after him, and then the other set in the second, and so on until the end of his dynasty. What does that mean when you have two people on the same time? That they were there together. Possible war or a husband and wife. Like um, Nefertiti and Tutankhamun. Okay? Not necessarily. They were, by the way, brother and sister. They, uh, they allow themselves. They allow themselves. Yes, exactly. I just want to say that from this uh, portrait, you cannot understand much about the person. Okay? It's not like it's, it's almost a mask. It's not a real. It's not a real. It's not like when you uh, look at the portrait of Henry VIII, then you can see the person. Okay, this is like a mask of the pharaoh. So I'm just giving you here the frame of uh, the frame of time, the frame of time. Cheers, Frank. Thanks for your uh, thanks for your uh, contribution. Right? I didn't know you also. Uh, thanks. No, seriously. Okay, let's move. Let's move. So now we are moving to Tel Hatzor, and we are moving into the Canaanite uh, zone. The Canaanite zone. spoke about the political element in archaeology, and the political element in it is to prove indigenous, right? This is why you want to you try to prove indigenous. Now, the Bible is very clear the Israelites are not indigenous, that you need to come, and there are seven indigenous tribes, then you need to take... I want to say that I'm like, I'm asking about the whole indigenous things. Humans come and humans go. We just met here, we just reviewed 300,000 years of human settlement. So what is indigenous exactly? Who gets a, when do you start counting? Okay, maybe only the Australopithecus, only that that monkey from my, 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 our pen, he is like the indigenous. What is indigenous? It's it's a valid question. Anyhow, anyhow, what is clear is this small chunk of land. There are two waves of migration in that period. One is the Philistines coming from the sea and occupying that area, and one is the Israelites coming from the desert crossing here getting this area, okay? So the Philistines are taking this. The other pool, seven nations who happened to live there before, has to now retreat or fight for their space. They are losing their status because they are no longer the masters of the land. But this process takes hundreds of years. It's not happening at once. And the Canaanites are 
the Canaanites, who are relatives of the Phoenicians, who are Semitic tribes, like Jews are Semitic tribes, they are the ones who are governing the land. So it's in Upper Galilee, not from the Sea of Galilee, here that side, Middle Bronze Age, and there is the Israelite period in Hazor, was the largest fortified city in the country, one of the most important uh, in the fertile crossing and there is commercial uh, Babylonian with, uh, with, with Syria. In the book of Joshua, I'll show it later, it's at the head of all kingdom. And uh, here I'm talking, I want to talk about uh, the history of uh, excavation. So Igal Yadin. Igal Yadin was a prominent Israeli archaeologist. He's the one who excavated Masada. And uh, later on, he became a politician. He was a much better archaeologist than he was a politician. <laughs> uh, in Israel, there is a trend. In Israel, there is a trend that people doesn't want to vote for the Labour Party or for the National Party, and they think there will be a third party that will come and save them. So every election, there is like a trendy party that comes, get like out of the 120, 15 mandats, 17 mandats. He got 17 mandats like that. We call it trend parties. He was the first of them. And serving in Begin regime, in Begin's government. Anyhow, this is the largest archaeological site in northern Israel. Um, 30 acres and the lowest city, 175 acres. It's a lot. It's a big, big city. Even today, even today, it's a big space. And they also was acknowledged by UNESCO as a World Heritage Site. What you see here, this is the King's Palace. This is the King's Palace. Again, use your imagination. This is the pathway, the bucket, and these are the storage. Storage for uh, grains. The municipality storage for the distributor. Okay. We'll go on. Joshua 11. At that time, Joshua turned back and captured Hazor and put its king by the sword. For Hazor had been the head of all these kingdoms, and everyone they put to the sword, they totally destroyed them, not sparing anyone that breathed, and he burned Hazor itself. This is from now, 2012, and there is still a debate among the archaeologists who burned the palace. You see that there is a layer of destruction. And the layer of the destruction works with the biblical numbers. You can see that there was a big wall and the city was burned, and then afterwards there's another layer. There's like clear differentiation between the ancient layer and the newer layer. Who've done it? Is it part, it does it work with the story of the Bible? Does it doesn't work with the story of the Bible? And I want to leave it to the archaeologists because I don't feel that I'm this enough to tell the answers that I just say that it's got to do. This question is not only scientific language, scientific question. It's got to do with the question of, well, is the biblical story a true story which has political implementation? And I want to leave it like that, you know? Leave it like that and say that uh, I want to leave it to the... Uh, Say uh, they have recently uncovered the palace of the Tel Hatzor National Park, Upper Galilee, revealing the rare findings, jugs containing scores with from 3040, and the find proves still more tangible evidence of the destruction of the Canaanite city and the event date to the mid 13th century. This is around the time when Joshua and the tribes are coming to have the 
campaign in the land of Israel, whether it's they are responsible for it or not, and who were those tribes who actually went in, we don't know. Don't presume that we can project our Judaism on those tribal Jews, or those tribal Israelites. Okay, let's move on. Is this the same Joshua as in the land of Jericho? Yeah, yeah, in the book of Jericho. And here, and here we are starting to get to the end. I can sense you're a bit uh, tired. No, it's not to do with that. It's to do with the time. So we need to um, stop. We've got about seven minutes. I can do it without rushing. <laughs> 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 okay, Gezer, Gezer, halfway, halfway between Tel Aviv and Jerusalem, halfway between Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. Gezer, um, foothill of the Judean mountain. Mentioned in the Amrana letters that I've said that the king of Gezer is swearing his allegiance to the Egyptian king because that's the wise thing to do if you want to keep, you know, you're like the duke off and he's the, the king off, so it's, it's wise to be. And Igal uh, Yadin, our friend Igal Yadin, have identified what we call the Salomonic Way and Gateway. So this is very classical, you can see it in, in several places in Megiddo, in Hatzor, in Gezer, and in other places. This is the structure of the gauge with places here for the um, soldiers and everything go down have this have this structure in mind have this structure in mind go down tack 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 this the these six rooms three chambers and three chambers now the story about king salomon <clears throat> here is the account of the first level King Solomon conscribed to build the Lord's Temple, his own palace, the terrace, the wall of Jerusalem, and Hatzor, Megiddo, and Gezer. Okay, so King Solomon is conscripting people again, forced level, to build the city. And I remind you that after King Solomon, the kingdom has split and it didn't work out because people were very upset about this conscription, about taxation, and about forced level. You don't get allegiance of people by taking their children to you do your forced labor. Now the interesting story. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had attacked and captured Gezer. He set it on fire. He killed the Canaanite inhabitant, and they gave it as a wedding gift to his daughter, Solomon's wife. And Solomon rebuilt Gezer. He built up the lawyer. Da 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 da. da. So the story that we are getting that the king, the Pharaoh who gave his daughter, now I don't, we don't know if his daughter his daughter, one of the Egyptian ladies was given as a bride to Solomon to make point about the, the allegiance, to make point about the, the covenant, or not covenant, allegiance, treaty, let's say, between the two kingdoms. <clears throat> and the Pharaoh is like doing a, doing a gesture, it's like assisting Pharaoh, and he gives him this main city. Like I would say, uh, uh, and, and then he gave him, uh, I don't know, Bloemfontein, he gave him as a present, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To his daughter as a, as a wedding, as a wedding gift to the new husband. Okay. I think it's more like um, in the, the treaty of this time, because weddings were more like treaty. No, totally. Now, what I found to be there are two there are two there are two things in Gaza the two things in Gaza that are amazing to see. One is the water project. Uh, okay, I got here this uh, short video, but we won't go there. You know what? Try to try to push it and see if we get the internet and maybe it will go. It's like a three minutes video. Maybe we will we'll end with that. Does it work or not? We got. Thankfully. 
Okay, it's a three minutes. Part of it is in Hebrew, part of it is in English, but even if you don't understand the Hebrew, you could still like see the pictures and get it. Okay, if you're not like it's a little bit of a Okay, I might send it to you. It's a the excavation there is a very interesting because it's a huge, again, huge effort of digging into the land in order to get a water tunnel that would supply the needs of the city in an area we have. And the city is depending in the water project. It's like city in such a size cannot uh, cannot uh, cannot maintain itself. And the second thing is one of the uh, most uh, earliest um, found in 1908, Gezer calendar. I teach it every year. I teach it every year before Rosh Hashanah. And it's to the kids and to the religions, to the religion school and to the ITJ. It's a very beautiful, first of its kind, uh, whether it is Phoenician or Paleo-Hebrew, and uh, Erwin actually spoke about the Phoenician uh, writing a while ago, and, and who, who invented the writing, was a different Phoenician and Paleo writing. The kid who have written it, have written the, the calendar. So this is what it says. Yarhu Asif, two months of gathering, Yarhu Zera, two months of planting, Yarhu Atzib Bishtim, two months of late sowing, Yarhu Katsir Saurim, two months of cutting the flax, Yarhu Katsir, two months of ripping barley, and Yarhu Zemar, one month of wrapping and measuring the grain, two months of pruning, Yarhu Zemer, and one month of kites, Yarhu Kites. And then his name, Abia. Abia. You see here, it's 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 a child learning to write, doing an exercise. It's a child doing his homework, and he's writing. He's practicing his writing, and here we are, years years after, and we can touch. We can really touch the 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 agricultural the agricultural pace of the of the of the country, the kind of the kind of what. What people were dealing with, and uh, this is one of my most. I really love this this piece. How old is it? What? How old is it? 10th century BC. 10th century BC. Rabbi. Yes. Does that one month for reaping and measuring grain? Does that? Uh, I'm not sure, but does that uh, line up with the counting of the omer? This is a this is shavuot. It's like the harvest. The harvest. Yes. Okay. Last one. So, just right on time, okay? okay. I'd like to uh, dedicate all this, uh, all this uh, archaeological uh, knowledge, and we will do more of that. We can think about it to the memory of Nelson Glick. Nelson Glick, uh, on his name, is the archaeological institution of my alma mater, of my of the HUC. The HUC School of Biblical Archaeology is named after Nelson Glick. He was a real Indiana Jones. He was a reform rabbi. He was an archaeologist. He was an educator. He was an author of very beautiful and interesting books. He was a secret agent of the Americans during World War II. And this is the kind of reform rabbis we should have. This is a picture from 1956, and this is a Time Magazine 63. That Nelson Glick. Okay, if I can take questions, I'll take them. Thank you very much for taking me to break that bit. Oh. <laughs> 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 can we please talk about 
table and cane the whole conflict and how it relates to settling down in the nomads. Table and cane is uh, is a uh, is a legend which reflects the conflict between the nomads and the settlers. Yeah, it's like that's that's clear. I just want to say that half of the humanity killing the other half might also reflect the memory of what ended up with Neanderthals, you know? But there was another species of Neanderthals, uh, another species of humans that we made sure, yeah, we made sure would not be here with us. Yeah, because the children who came with them and made the instruments and all sorts of things. Can you hands up if you want to say? No, no. Yeah. The level of violence perpetrated by Joshua seems to me about the same as the level of violence perpetrated by the guy we are the violent species. No, no, I understand that. Yeah. We talk about one is terrible, and the other one is excessive. Okay, I guess we are in history. This, uh, this is human history. We conquer, we massacre. That's, that's, that's our opinion. What? Opinions are also part of human history. Yeah, yeah. But um, we don't have much expectation from us. Some kill and others create the passion spirit. Okay, with that optimistic notion. <laughs> okay, next week, next week, um, we might be having Jay talk in the slow next week, because we've got someone who's um, talking, her mother was on the kinder transport, and um, Monique, uh, the gift of Cooper, and she's going to talk about, she only discovered recently that her mother was on the kinder transport, because her mother never said a word. So we might be in the, the slow. And the week after is the Shabbos project, and we might start even a bit late, so we'll, we'll see what No, the week after is, the is David. Um, no, that's the Shabbos project. David Wilchins. It's David Wilchins. It's Jay Talk. Lily is going today. No, no, she told me.